listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Todd Cochran. He is the CEO of Blueberry. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Heather. And it's going to be good to catch up. Yeah, for sure. So Todd, I feel like I've been in this space for a long time, but you've been in this space for a long time. How many years have you been in the podcast industry? About two weeks, it'll be 19 years, which is insane. Wow, congratulations. That's so awesome. I feel like talking to you is like getting such a great overview of, of where we've come and where we're going. And I was curious just to kind of start us off. What would you say are some of the things that you have really seen change in the podcast advertising space in general? Are there, are there any elements that really stand out to you where you're like, Hey, this is how we did it for years. And now this is how we do it. Well, it's, it's very obvious to me that the programmatic piece is is really kind of exploded the programmatic piece has um has just you know went off the chart and it's made opportunities for shows that probably would not get advertising through you know host endorsed type of advertising so that opportunity is available now almost any podcast host not just us it's uh just now almost to point where they can they can flip a switch but that mm-hmm. said, at the same time, you know, there's there has to have these realistic expectations with with what comes with that, because obviously the the CPMs are not as high as they would be from a from a host endorse standpoint. But I'm finding that what it's doing and what it's allowing content creators to realize is they when they get that first check, it's something and it may not be it might be take their partner to dinner money or it could be car payment money. It really depends on the size of the show, but it gives this realization that, you know, I'm getting some value back uh, for the content that I'm putting forward and it gives them that bridge. And I actually stole that term from Tom Webster. It gives them that bridge to get to the point where they grow their show, where they can go into those, those bigger host endorsed type ads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the great thing about programmatic is not only is it a nice resource for the content creator, but it's also a nice resource for the advertiser, right? I feel like when we, um, when I got in this space seven years ago, it was like, you know, there really weren't a lot of great programmatic options and it just feels like they're getting better, you know, year after year. I still don't think they're fully perfected, especially from an advertiser perspective, but I think that the fact that we have it now um, in a larger capacity, and like you said, most podcasters can tap into some level of programmatic ads. I think that for me, that is like creating that full, full circle that really didn't exist in the podcast space for a long time. And, and we've been doing some audits on the the type of ads that are running and on what type of shows they're running on. Hmm. And obviously they're they're IP targeted because they, you know, oftentimes they want to run maybe a public service announcement for something going on in a specific region or city. And the ads, in my opinion, are not remnant. They're they're pretty high. The stuff that you would not be surprised to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's the, the exciting part. But one thing that's interesting, too, about at least our experience in Soundstack as our partner at Blueberry that does our fulfillment for programmatic is that the longer a 
content creator is on programmatic, the higher the CPMs get and the higher the fill rates. In the early days of a podcaster turning the switch on, it starts and it builds, but we're seeing now where we're getting about 80 to 85% fill rates on, on each episode, which, you know, is, is pretty awesome uh, mm-hmm. because sometimes we don't get 85% fill rates on host red. So, oh, sure. uh, you know, so I'm pretty excited about that. And we made it available now where folks can do pre-roll and mid if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think podcasters are more comfortable with the pre-roll than do, than making sure they have the spot for the mid-roll. And then it's surprising. We still see some stuff post-roll too, but I, mm-hmm. you know, between you and me, what's the real value in that? I don't think that much. You know, I used to be so anti-post-roll and, and I still don't think it's a great spot, but I was listening to a show the other day when I was working, I was working on a project in the house and I just listened to several episodes back to back and I kept getting the post roll and kept getting the post roll and I wasn't going to stop. Like I was just working. Right. Mm, and yep, I yep. was like, you know, I, I sometimes think maybe we undersell the value of the post roll. Maybe, maybe there is more listenership to it than we realize, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely get your point. What kind of CPMs are you looking at? Um, any idea what kind of range these programmatic ads are falling in? You know, and it's again, it's kind of interesting when a podcaster first starts, at least switches on with us. This is what we're seeing. It's it's lower. It's six, seven dollars. Mm-hmm. But then again, the longer they're on month two, we start to see it increase. It's almost like the machine is learning that, okay, here's the consistency, here's the repetitiveness, here's what I'm expecting this can deliver. So it's, there's like a little, some logic being learned and then the CPM start going mm-hmm. up. But I don't think I've seen anything higher than maybe 13, 13 mm-hmm. and a half. That, that would be about as high as I've mm-hmm. seen it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now the goal, I'd like to see it get the real sweet spot would be at 15. That's what I think where it would be fantastic, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever get to 15. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Tom, before we get too deep into our conversation, if somebody's listening and they don't have any idea what Blueberry is, tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, Blueberry is a full service podcast company. Uh, hosting is a piece of that, but you know, hosting is almost commoditized today. So you know, we really are focused on the features and tools that we provide content creators that that host with us. We're very much involved in the new Podcasting 2.0 initiative. If you don't know about anything about that, happy to come over and take a look on the website and just search for Podcasting 2.0 and get educated on the expansion of RSS. But uh, again, we're full service. We have everything from DAI that you manage yourself to programmatic to great stats, of course. We've spent probably the last uh, six months really beefing up the stats. And it's uh, it's caused us actually to start migrating a lot of shows off other platforms that don't have as capable statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, media kits, you know, just we, we got the full line of everything a podcaster would need. And the main thing is we just provide the tools and services and then just get out of the way and let you build your brand. Our PowerPress plugin is very, very popular and allows someone that has a WordPress site to basically power their podcast on their own website. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and you're one of the original companies, right? I mean, weren't you in kind of the, the first wave of hosting companies to start in the podcast space? Yeah, we were, you know, but initially the podcast, we actually started as a media company to bl- believe it or not. At the, huh. at the very beginning, we did pure advertising for about five years before we switched to the service side. And, you know, there's a whole story about why that happened, but 
Um, but most of the advertising stuff we, we work with partners on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious as we look a- across the landscape, there is so much that has changed. And I think that it's changing for the better in many ways. What do you think that we're still missing from an advertising perspective that either an advertiser could really use, or maybe a podcaster could really use? I think it's about the copy. Yeah, I think yeah. we have. I think we have to understand this is. I think some media buyers still consider this almost radio, and yes. it's not. And I think the the quality of the ad copy. If if they would, if we would just spend an extra thirty minutes, and that doesn't take that much, an extra thirty minutes on the ad copy, <laughs> and on the talking points. I think the the campaigns would come across better, but I, you know, as I li- I listen to a hundred sh- new shows every two weeks, and wow, something, that's yeah, a lot. And I and I have a whole you know years and years and years of data, and I've listened to a, a lot of ads, and from show to show to show, sometimes the ads are just cookie cutter, mm. and they're reading the same copy, and it's the same. And I understand there's only you know let's say it's let's just use some food service business, you know, let's we'll leave it at that. Um, it, it, the ads are too bring them personalized. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also if you're going to have a long time host red endorsement, you better be using that product. You better really know what that product tastes like or what that product does or how the deliveries happen and, you know, or whatever that function of that, you need to know that. And maybe you need, maybe the, Vendor's not going to give it to you. Maybe you should subscribe yourself mm-hmm. uh, just to get a better handle because then you can personalize the copy and it just makes it more personable. So I know some podcasters do that, but a lot don't. And then it's, it's, and be honest with you, and it's a word people are not going to like, but don't be lazy. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And I, I think it makes such a huge difference when we're talking about results, when the host that's doing the ad read actually knows the product, understands the product. So I guess one of the things that I was wanting to talk to you about, so you, you've led me right into it, which is great. How should we be thinking about advertising in the context of content, right? Because as you said, nobody wants podcasting to become radio. And I don't listen to terrestrial radio very often, but when I do, I'm always shocked at the number of ads that there are, right? There's just, there's so many ads and so often they don't feel very related. I, I mean, I think that despite the fact that maybe we don't necessarily all want to be watched as we peruse the internet, it is nice to see ads for products that you're interested in buying. And in podcasting, while, you know, there isn't quite that level of sophistication um, used frequently, there is still so much thought that goes into the campaigns, right? And I would say, even if we're talking about programmatic or host read, the reality is, is that the buyer has really looked at this audience and said, Hey, this is an audience that I would like. So, from a, a a listener perspective or even from an advertiser perspective, what should that expectation be around the difference between the ad and the content? And how should we be approaching that? Well, number one, don't have such a heavy ad load that you annoy me. Um, and again, this doesn't happen to all shows, but some of the ad load on some podcasts now are like six and a half minutes and bam, you're into another ad. 
and I it drives me insane. I I, I unsubscribe for those shows. So I think as a content creator, you have to really think about the ad load. Don't get pushed into too much. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, you know, I look at my own re- my own historical relationship with GoDaddy. You know, I do a tech show, so GoDaddy fits on the tech show. It's a good medium. It's a good transition. It's a great way to get my customers to be engaged because they're they're kind of geeks and nerds. But sometimes ads come through that aren't an exact match. So there has to be something that we do as hosts to make them relatable. But again, you know, we all have, let's say that demographic that advertisers trying to meet, meet is, um, you know, let's say it's women with children, married or not. And, you know, then if that's that's the target audience, then the advertiser needs to make sure that it's clear to the content creator who we are supposed to address. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they, if they, cause the audiences are very vast, you know, and if, if that advertiser says, okay, my, my key demographic for this product is uh 25 to 45, again, women with children, single or married, then you could start to add out. You don't have to be totally annoying, but hey, ladies, I think I got a great product for you. And and you get their attention. It's I think you have to almost, as the content creator, have to address that specific audience a little more directly. Don't leave mm-hmm. the rest of the audience behind. But at the same time, the advertiser has to also realize that while they're trying to reach a specific demographic, probably 50% audience is outside of the boundary of, what they're looking for. So they need to understand that from a performance standpoint, maybe even at, let's say that show's getting 10,000 listens an episode, maybe you're really only reaching that audience, maybe 5K of that specific audience that is the actual audience that is the supposed demographic. So I think advertisers have to take that into consideration. Now, do podcasters, are they doing the work to figure out Number one, who my audience really, really is. I think that's another part of the component as well is we think we know who our audience is, but maybe you need to do a survey every year to say, hey, tell me who you really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You are famous for talking about your relationship with GoDaddy and you've had them as an advertiser for over 10 years, right? Yeah, well, actually... 18 years, June will be 18 years. Wow. So one of the things that I always find really fascinating is that a lot of advertisers feel like there's a level of diminishing returns with a podcast, right? They're like, well, we got in there, we advertised, it worked well for six months, maybe it worked well for a year. Now we're just not seeing the returns in the way that maybe we want to see them. But here you are, as you said, you've got a tech show and you've had them as an advertiser for going on 18 years now, and they're still coming back year after year. And and they are looking for direct response. They're not, right, right. They're, they're counting what kind of business they're getting from your show. That's right. How, how do you keep the ad reads fresh in a way to make your audience actually want to pay attention? And I, I feel like, to be honest, GoDaddy is almost even harder, in my opinion, as a business owner, because like, yeah, I know GoDaddy exists. Like it's, it's not a new thing for me. It's not really exciting. Of course, I have my perception of what GoDaddy is. Sure. Maybe, maybe there are new products that they're offering that I'm totally unaware of, but um, it's a well-established brand. They already have really good market penetration. How are you keeping that fresh for your audience? You know, the ad copy 
be kind of honest, the ad copy doesn't get really that diversified. <laughs> the goal or the reason for success, and this is unique to maybe my show because I knew what I had to do. I have to have new listeners coming in. <laughs> I have to have new, I, I'm addressing the new audience every episode. Interesting. So it, it's the 10, 15, 30, 50 new listeners that I'm addressing that haven't heard the ad 200 times, you know, right. because it's, it's, it's the new listeners. And so I have a number I have to hit every month. So it's, again, it's a, a lot of the success with this continues to be about the long consistency of the show. So the, what we have seen, and because I've been doing this so long, is people do get sick of listening to our voices. <laughs> and, I and know. They what? How is that possible, Todd? <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they leave, you know, they, they stay around for a couple of years and then they leave. And then yes. surprisingly, after a year or two, they might come back. Uh, they come back. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, you're still here, you know, and, and, but yet they're like, well, I've heard GoDaddy already. But again, it's the brand new first time mm -hmm. listeners that I'm, I'm really going after at the same time. And this is not a secret. There's a landing page on my website that is dedicated to GoDaddy and the sponsorship. So there is a certain amount of traffic that comes there natively from Google. Mm -hmm. So I will get some credit for non-podcast listening conversions, which again, they are DR. They, they ultimately say, and I only get credit on new customers. I don't get mm -hmm. count credit on renewals. Mm -hmm. So it is unique, but I think if you apply that to um, a HelloFresh or whoever's currently the hot advertiser, I think that if you're going to do that for multiple months, let's say they come in month one and they do buy two spots for a month, the month two, they buy whatever the load might be. I think you really, really need to think about, okay, the existing audience has maybe heard this spot two, three, four times. So this, this is where as a content creator, you have to have those new ears or, or eyeballs, whatever <laughs> way you want to look at it, uh, coming into your show and, then I think what that ultimately means is maybe uh, you need to set the expectations correctly with the media buyer to say, okay, you know, what is, if this is DR, what is the goal? Mm -hmm. And, and sadly, you know, they won't tell you that it's DR, but they back the numbers out based upon how many new customers they've got. If it's, you know, if it has a direct buy type of situation, mm -hmm. but then you also have to get more creative on your lift you're doing a lift study for them you're coming back and say okay uh you know this month we gained x number of new listeners that came in they grew the show by two three four percent you know those are something that you should unique you should put in your report for unique to let them know that you know these are new people that were exposed so i i don't know if it works in all cases but mm -hmm. it's something to think about Mm -hmm. Do you send GoDaddy a report every month? I mean, because they have all the data on their end. Are you sending them your own report every month? I don't. I don't have to send them nothing. They okay. and here's what it works: you were above or you were below. Mm -hmm. And if it's below for more than a couple of months, we have a call. We do a talk. We talk about the product, the offerings, what we think mm -hmm. we need to spice things up. Um, and luckily, the below doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know, it's one of those situations where I. You know, I, I knock on wood every week when the report comes in and, and it's either thumbs up 
or a thumbs down. And it really isn't kind of played out that way in the email, but it just, sure. I, I get the report. Yeah. But, yeah. But you know, GoDaddy also knows, even though I don't get credit for the renewals, they know that I have brought literally probably close to a million new customers to them that those renewals do count and those listeners mm -hmm. still listen. And if they quit advertising, you know, it might affect renewals. It might, it may not. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I think most podcasters struggle with is audience growth. And what you're saying, which I think is really fascinating, is the results for an advertising campaign can often come from new audience growth, right? It's being yeah. able to bring in a new listener, expose them to a new product that maybe, you know, they were unfamiliar with or uh, the product just wasn't top of mind. Now, when we look at the landscape in the industry, there are, I think about 4 million podcasts now. And I know when I started in 2016, there were 400,000 podcasts at that time. So I always look at that growth and I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. And I could see how it would be much harder to build an audience today than it was you know, five years ago. However, I know when you and I were talking, you mentioned that really there aren't as many podcasters out there actively producing episodes. And I always want to kind of shout that from the rooftop a little bit, right? It's like, you know, just because there are 4 million podcasts out there, that could have been like a couple of friends getting together one night, <laughs> jumping on a free, you know, hosting platform and saying, we're going to do two episodes or even one episode, right? And yeah. now it's there, but it's not really super active. Um, how many podcasts are there that are actively producing new episodes right now? This is easy to find. You can go over to podcastindex.org, and I'm reading right from their webpage right now. In the last 10 days, 241,000 shows have produced a new episode. In the last 30 days, 338,000 have produced an episode. And in the last 60, 408,000 shows have produced a new episode. Now, you divide that across 30-plus categories. And you can start to see here that the competitive landscape is not as big as people think it is. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, a year ago, the 10-day average would have been over 400,000. So what we've seen is because I think of the economy and because, you know, budgets are tighter, I think we've seen a lot of shows uh, stop production. So, but that doesn't mean these you know, if we look at the Nielsen numbers and stuff that's come out of Sounds Profitable, the the number of listeners continue to grow. So we're seeing significant growth on across the board because these audiences, these listening audiences are seeking out shows now because the show maybe they were listening to before is gone. Mm -hmm. So they're still listening to the same amount of content, but they're seeking out new so this this impression you have to make in the first two minutes of your episode is critical. You know, you got to get in there and get them hooked. You got to if you're fishing, you got to you know, you got to lock them in. Right. And so I think that the the opportunity now for podcasters is unique and people kind of scoff when I say this. This is the best time I have seen in many, many years to be a podcaster. This is a great time to build audience and do that growth piece but you just can't create good content. There's a whole host of things that you have to do to engage. But again, I, I think, and maybe this isn't completely on topic of what you asked me, but podcasters 
need to ask their audience to ask their friends to listen to the show. It's still the number one way shows grow. So it, it's it's an interesting time for sure. But again, I think that uh, anyone that is wanting to build a success in a successful podcast, it's work and building even today for me, getting those new listeners in, I spend a considerable budget hiring people to make sure I have fresh content on my website. It's relevant. It's getting found uh, by, you know, the Googles of the world. People are coming in and then a small percentage of those that land on my website, you know, click follow on the show and, and listen. And again, it's, it's purely a numbers game. Um, and again, you got to be doing the 10 or 15 different things you have to do to build a show. And it's, it's work and they're not creating content is not enough. It's just right. not enough. Right, right. I think though, that as you mentioned, I do get the feeling often that content creators kind of feel like that ship has sailed, right? That like, oh, everybody's got a podcast. And I think it's so hilarious, you know, when you see on TV shows or in articles or whatever, like when people just say, like they, they joke about like, oh, you need to start a podcast about that or everybody's got a podcast, where's your podcast? The reality is, is that I like to compare it often to blogs right and there are 600 million blogs out there that's right and if there are 600 million blogs then we can have way more than 4 million podcasts and we can definitely succeed if we're only seeing like maybe on average about 300,000 of those podcasts creating new content each month and when you look at the intersection between content creation and software development i think now is one of the best times to be a podcaster because everything is coming together right they're all like like we talked about at the very beginning of the conversation now it is so much easier for podcasters to tap into ad dollars and on the flip side so much easier for advertisers to tap into those shows and those audiences i think the scalability of podcasts is kind of getting to that almost critical mass place where I do think we're going to have a tipping point here at some point, I would think within the next few years, if not sooner than that. So it really is a great time to be in the podcasting business. And it's a great time to be advertising the podcast business. Wouldn't you agree? And, you know, and I think I'm also seeing a crack that I've been waiting to see develop for mm. literally years. We're starting finally to see where smaller shows, and again, there's, again, depends on the show and the topic, where smaller shows that are maybe sub 5,000 listeners per episode are starting now, after many, 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 many years to finally be understood to be a good bet mm -hmm. by an advertiser because of the relationship that content creator has with that audience. It's tighter usually resulting in higher performance than bigger shows. And some advertisers are starting to, to actually go down in the stack a little deeper and starting to pick up some shows. Now, is it going to make that person a lot of money? Well, if it's additional CPM, it's going to make you some money. But it's, again, it's a simple math equation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> CPM times whatever that, you know, that number per thousand is. Mm -hmm. And... But I think it's an opportunity also for those creators to um, those smaller shows to think about those niche advertisers that may pay a premium as well for for the content. And, I, you know, for the advertisers that are listening, 
you really, in my opinion, you've missed the boat for the last more than 10 years Mm -hmm. and not recognizing that smaller shows have this high value at the same time. You're, you're killing me. I, I, I listen, I did the ad count on a top, I'll say top 50 podcast and there was a uh, four pre-rolls and an hour and 10 minute show. There was an ad or two every six and a half minutes. I quit when I got to like count 12 wow. on the ad and the, the ad reads were horrible. I mean, horrible. They didn't, you could tell the host did not care. Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. And they were done. I, I think advertisers are just flushing money down the toilet with, mm-hmm. and frankly, that type of ad load. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's bad strategy. Uh, are you seeing on your end, what are you seeing demands for ad load on shows? And what are shows taking? You know, I think it's so interesting because we really coach our podcasters to try and keep their ad load down. Oftentimes content creators want to maximize the revenue that they can receive. And I get that. Like, yeah, of course they want to get a paycheck, but ultimately you do have to think about two really important pieces. One is your listener. And as you said, when you overfill your, your podcast with ads, it drives away listeners. The other thing that podcasters do that we fight them on tooth and nail is they like to stack all their ads back to back. It's like, let's not stack them all together. Let's spread them out a bit. Right. And, you know, really, I, I advise people, if you're going to do a 30 to 60 minute show, you should have no more than four ads, right? Maybe a pre-roll, maybe a few posts or a a few mid-rolls. Um, and, and if you get a little longer, right, like if you're getting into the hour, hour and a half, like, yeah, maybe you could do more, maybe you could do two ad breaks and do two mid rolls and ad breaks. You could do four mid rolls and one pre roll. Um, as we've discussed, like you could do post rolls, but you know, we don't typically sell a lot of them. Um, but it's, you know, you just have to be really conscientious about your audience. And then on the flip side, you have to be conscientious about your advertiser, right? The advertisers are coming because they're looking to have an impact on your audience, regardless Mm -hmm. of if they're DR agencies or brand advertisers, they want to see their KPIs being met. And when you overload a podcast with ad reads, no one is accomplishing their goals. Now, what I recommend that people do is let's keep your ad load smaller. And when we get you sold out, suddenly let's raise those CPMs, right? So now we can say, hey, like, oh, this show is filled all the time. And, And we have those shows on our roster at True Native where it's like, this show's full all the time. So we're gonna charge you a $45 CPM just because Obviously it's working for the advertisers. That's why we've got it full and, and we can keep the ad load down and we can charge a higher price. So yep. that's really where the money should be made is, is in that piece, in my opinion. And, and, you know, and I think also as a, you know, having now almost 1700 episodes on my primary show, the, you learn. I can look at the stats. I used to go into them like daily. I used to be a stats junkie. And I be honest with you, I can't tell you the last time I looked at my personal show stats, but I knew that in, in at least the period where I was doing multiple host reads mm-hmm. that I knew that two, two for that show was great. And when I hit three, the annoyance emails started coming and the, the numbers, 
you could see the the stats drop off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So for my show, the sweet spot was two and about a 60 minute show. Every mm-hmm. show is different. But also my host reads were not 30 seconds, you know, right. so, so that was part of it too. Now, if I had stuck to the hard, to the hard and, and give them the 30 or 60 and nothing more, I'd probably have been okay with three, but yeah. you know, I talk too much. So, <laughs> you know, I would give them a 90 and, right. and a two nineties. And then and that's why they would get annoyed is yeah. because the, the ad reads were too long. Yeah. So so now I was going to ask Rob over at Libsyn used to, and maybe he still does. And I just haven't heard him speak in a while. He used to always show a slide in his presentation where he would give the breakdown of if you have more than 5,000 downloads, then that means you're in the top 1% right. of podcasts. I feel like we've been talking a lot more recently about, you know, there's been, I feel like articles that have said, if you buy the top hundred podcasts, you're going to reach 90% of the the podcast listeners or whatever. I had Ellie on from ACAST a, a few episodes ago and her and I kind of dove into that and really like they found that that is not at all true. I don't I, believe it. I don't believe it either. But I guess I'm curious, do you have any knowledge of the sizes? And, and because I feel like people ask me that all the time, like, well, if I have this many downloads, like where do, where do I fall in the podcast ranking? And you know, I always tell people, gosh, if you're getting, you know, if you're getting more than a thousand to 5,000 downloads per episode, now that's an important piece, right? It has to be per episode. It can't be cumulative. Then, I mean, you really are in like the top 5% of podcasts that exist is what I tell people, but it's been a while since I've seen those stats. You know, uh, we have a different audience than Libsyn, to be honest with you, um, at least from a creator standpoint. Sure. So we've been very lucky in that my type of slide that Rob would show, um, the numbers are much higher uh, from an average standpoint. And the reason for that is, is because a very high majority of our customers already have a brand, a .com. They have their own website. They are vested in making sure traffic gets to that, to that website. And so naturally, those types of creators already sometimes have pre-built audiences because sure. they've already got funnels and newsletters and stuff like that. So not to say anyone can't build this. And this is why, you know, I've been on the bandwagon for 20 years almost now saying, have your own brand, have your own dot com. Right. And I think that uh, if you are above 1000 listens and downloads per episode, uh, you, you are doing well, you know, you, I wouldn't say you're in the top 5%, you're probably in the top 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it increments up once you get sure. to five and 10, if you get to 10,000, you're definitely in the top 5% of shows for sure. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's not saying that you can't make good money with a smaller audience. Sure. It all depends on what type of content you're creating too. Yeah. You know, the wider, you know, you've had this discussion, I'm sure many times, the wider you are, the more numbers you have to have, the narrower you are with a specific talk, the smaller you of the numbers have to be to make good money. My show, you know, I, to be honest with you, and I hate to keep going back and talking about my old show because I'm an old dog, right? I've been this a long time. But again, I have to build audience numbers every month to make Mm -hmm. my advertiser happy. And I think if you are focused as much on the advertising as you are building your show, those two will align and you'll find success. 
And I don't like when people say, oh, I'm having a hard time building my show. And then usually I can get into their website and within five minutes, I can probably point out five things that they need to do. And one of those is if I can't follow or subscribe to your show, when I land on your website, right from above the fold, you've already lost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 97% of people will never scroll down further. Right. And right. so it's just those little, it's just little things, podcast mm -hmm. one-on-one things people can do to build their shows. So when people say, I can't build an audience, I'm say, okay, what are you doing and who are you listening yeah. to? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's really great advice. So I'm curious, I, I would love to get into the discussion about ad tech. So one of the things that I talk about, and I'm, I'm just really curious what your reaction is to this is that in the podcast space, we are heavily reliant on hosting companies to provide ad tech. And it's not like that in other industries, right? It's, you know, like you're not looking to your GoDaddy or your HostGator to be your ad server right, you know, on right. your website. And one of the things that I struggle with is that I don't feel oftentimes that hosting companies really care about the ad tech piece because they're there they're there to serve the content creator right so they're like you know how can we provide and as you mentioned hosting has become much more commoditized right so okay we've got the basics that you're going to be able to host your show but what are the other tools can we give you the demographic information can can we help you monetize it can we help you with audience growth can we help you with your website you know those are like all of those different elements play into it but I don't know that hosting providers do a very good job about thinking about what the advertiser wants from that hosting tool to be an ad service provider, right? And we've got great companies out there, like you mentioned, Soundstack, um, where they they really are more of an ad tech company, right? right they do right. the hosting, but their core business is more ad tech. And you've right. obviously partnered with them to help provide that service. But I guess I'm, I'm just curious, especially, you know, um, as we kind of look into the podcast 2.0, you know, ecosphere and, and what you guys are trying to accomplish with that, where do you see ad tech playing in the role of the hosting company? You know, I think what we've tried to do is provide the tools the the podcaster needs, whatever their monetization model is. Mm -hmm. So um, as an example, and this is just some simple stuff, you know, the ability for the podcaster to assign a sub account to maybe their buyer so that they can come in and just do a quick mm -hmm. look and mm -hmm. look at the stats. Number two, for those that are more sophisticated, we have an API. So basically the podcaster can authorize uh, through a token, the ability of their their ad partner to pull their data directly into their own system and then make the charts that they want on their own. So mm -hmm. that's a, a a second piece. The third piece is is because the content creator sometimes may have to put pixel tracking or something like that. We make it easy for them to be able to to put whatever they need on their website or on their page or within the redirect prepend whatever it needs to be for them to be able to participate in a campaign with any provider, a company like yours or whoever. I, I think the question I would have for you is what would you want from us that would help you? Mm -hmm. And if you tell us and give us that short list or whatever it may be, then that's something I can add to the dev stack to say, okay, hey, 
to native media needs these pieces when they work with our podcasters for advertising deals. That to me gives me the value to go back and say, hey, we, you know, as a hosting provider, we, we work with whoever you work with and we'll make sure they get the data they need from that standpoint. I think stats are probably the biggest sticking point. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think because we're the I, we, we are IB certified, just like almost everyone now, we are in the business of a little bit, I have a different perspective on stats. I overqualify even for IEB standards um, because some we've, you know, I can't say what's happened to IEB meeting, but I will say that some people are having some challenges with some counting because of a certain action that happens with Apple podcasts. Well, I've never had that issue because I overqualify downloads and mm -hmm. Because my motto is, I don't care what the number is, as long as I know what the number is. Because when you sell, you say, okay, we're going to guarantee 5,000 plays per episode for this show for the next, you know, whatever time period. You're counting on those deliveries. Mm -hmm. And you want those to be real and no overcounting. And so that the media buyer gets the best, you know, they get their, they get their money's worth. Right. And to me, that's what keeps the media buyers coming back. They get their money's worth. Mm -hmm. They know a show works or it doesn't because they're tracking. They have mm -hmm. every show on their list. They've got it in a spreadsheet. They're looking at performance. And if a show's off on performance and it's off because the, you know, five shows from a single host are off in performance, the media buyer is going to say, hey, I have to discount them because they're counting wrong or whatever it may be. Right. They're not dumb. They're smart on this. So I think our job is really to make sure that you get the right number so that you can represent the show correctly. But mm -hmm, what, mm -hmm. something I can do for you, Heather, what, what do you need that we're not providing? Well, so there's, there's two pieces that I really feel like are big elements in the podcast space right now that I, I don't think are being talked about often enough. So the first one is forecasting tool. Now I know mm. that there are some, hosting platforms that do provide a forecasting tool. But essentially when it comes to dynamic ad insertion, we have to predict how many impressions we think a campaign can get. So right. when we're looking at a podcast, a podcast gets a certain number of downloads across their full catalog within a 30 day period, right? So we could say, this show's getting a hundred thousand downloads on average in a 30 day period across their full catalog. So that would mean that we should be able to sell about 25,000 impressions in a week period, right? Or if we're gonna sell the full month, 100. Well, that doesn't really happen, right? Because typically that listener is only being counted, right? If they are listening to that part of the episode where the ad appears. So it would be really great if we could say this campaign is gonna run, and, and the hardest part is when they don't run standard, right? Like this campaign is going to run from Wednesday, December 6th through, you know, Thursday, December 21st, right? And so we're picking these date ranges and the advertiser usually picks them because they have some specific promotion or something going on that they want that date range. And it would be so nice to be able to say, okay, I'm going to look back historically at this podcast. I'm going to look at what they usually do based on their release dates, mm -hmm. based on the, the, the average listener count, I'm going to say that I could predictively, you know, give you this number that if we ran this campaign, you should get 33,000 impressions based on, like I said, 
um, the released schedule of episodes, the average kind of listen through rate, the the ebbs and flows of, oh, Tuesdays tend to have more listeners than Thursdays or whatever, you know, like if yep, we were yep. able to calculate all of that, I feel like that would be phenomenal. Is that on back catalog or just new episodes or both? Both. Yeah. Um, I'm writing this into my spreadsheet right now. <laughs> and then the other thing that is being requested so much more, like even just in the last like three to six months is a frequency capping on campaigns. And uh, none of us wants to hear the same ad 20 times, right? right? Like that's just not a fun experience. It's not good for the advertiser. It's not good for the listener. The problem with frequency capping is there are hosting platforms out there that allow for frequency capping. I'm not a computer programmer. I do not know how they've created this, but it appears as though the actual technology behind what it looks like to frequency cap is not really there again in any sort of predictive capacity, right? So an agency can come to us and say, we want to run this campaign and we want a four frequency cap for the month, meaning that the same person isn't going to hear the ad more than four times. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. great. But let's look at the audience. Like then we have to look <laughs> at the audience. We have to look right. at like how many of your audience members listen to one episode a month. How is that right. affecting frequency capping? Right. What right. about the people who are listening to five episodes a month or six episodes or, you know, there's just all of these factors that actually come into play. And we're working on a report and a study that we're going to be um, publishing at True Native about frequency capping that I'm excited to release hopefully in the next few weeks. But it's very, it's a very important piece, especially when we're talking about programmatic and especially when we're talking about doing host red ads that are dynamically inserted, which right now is the majority of the industry is doing dynamically inserted host red ads. So yeah. that frequency cap is really important. So. You know, frequency capping, first of all, I hate it personally um, because I think the advertiser short-sighted in their approach because if you've got good ad copy that is progressive ad copy, then frequency capping is not an issue. It builds a story and makes people want to do stuff more. But I understand where they're coming from. Um, I will also say, sorry to interrupt you, Todd, but I will also say the other piece that we have struggled with with some of the hosting companies that we work with is I should be able to say, you know what, GoDaddy, I don't want to have one ad read for you this month because I know on average my audience listens to four episodes a month. I want to do four ad reads. So I'm going to rotate through the ad reads and yep. run them so that if I listen to, you know, the CEO roundtable on Monday in the morning, I hear a different GoDaddy ad than if I listen to the CEO right. roundtable in the afternoon. It's not yep. because part of it is that we just don't want to hear the exact same thing over and over right and yeah, so and that if we could rotate through ad reads i i think that's critical you know and and if, if it's a multi it's a multi-week or multi-month campaign the ad copy has to change every week it can't be right, the same right has to has, has to. to right or else and that's if, where you get diminishing returns right and if that show is doing two shows a week you better have variations of copy every show but mm -hmm. You know, the frequency capping, and again, we've never looked at that and, and thinking about it just hypothetically, it's all based on IP. But the problem is it has to be, well, there's a couple other things that could be, 
And again, then how do, deep do we want to dig into our listeners' privacy? But let's just say right? it's purely, let's just say it's purely IP tracking. Um, people's, if the, and once IPv6 comes into full play, this is impossible. You get a new IPv6 address like every 10 minutes. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So IPv6, where it's deployed outside the United States, that IPv6 is updating. It's not like stays with you permanently like it was designed. It like is like almost like a ticker counter. It changes all the time. IPv4 is a little more stable, maybe between your house and your job. or mm -hmm. But if you're mobile, you go more than maybe six or seven miles in your car and the IP changes. So depending on when that episode hits. So this IP frequency, if you're using IPs for frequency capping, uh, okay, it's going to be maybe a little effective. But again, maybe this goes back and where we have to tell the advertiser, I know you want to do frequency capping, but there, I think there's a better way and mm -hmm. a better way to get results because we've all heard the same, let's say, for example, Geico ad 82 times on radio. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear the same ad. Let's hear fresh copy all the time and have some variance. And that's where the cost of the campaigns will go up because you have to have more or let's just have a list of 25 talking points and tell the right. podcaster hit four different talking points every episode. Make sure you get the call to action in there and right. go. Right. Um, well, and and you could really be hitting the nail on the head because I do ag agree with you. I think I think frequency capping, I understand the intention behind it yeah. and I'm not opposed to the intention that's behind it. Right. What I believe is happening, which is what happens in the podcast space often, is the execution from a technology perspective is not there. And so if the execution from a technology standpoint isn't there, then we're not really we're not really living behind the true intent of the exercise. And so I do think as as we've been discussing, it could quite possibly have more to do with rotation of ad copy as opposed to that frequency cap. Because we also know people need to hear about your product you know, six to 10 times before they make a buying decision. That's right. That's right. So, you know. And if, if we go back to the forecasting tool, though, I've had that tool for years internally. So it's something that we could give to the podcaster because um, all they really have to do is, well, as a matter of fact, our podcasters could potentially use it today by setting a date range and looking at, you know, previous history. Mm -hmm. But again, the where you throw the cog in the wheel here is that podcaster has to be consistent. You know, they need to be, if they're putting an True. episode out every week and if they're doing every week or every twice a week, whatever, as long as they've been consistent, mm -hmm. then it, the forecasting tool works well. But I think we'd have to build into the forecasting tool, the ability to say, Hey, it looks like your frequency is weekly on this data range. You're missing an episode mm -hmm. and have to make an adjustment. I, I fully understand the need to be able to say you're going to deliver this much during this time. Um, and if a podcaster has been going more than a couple of years, we, we should have good frequency data. But again, the show has grown. So you have to look at current data. And the way right. I used the way I used to look, look at it heavily was I looked at the last 12 episodes mm -hmm. and I did yeah. a running, yep. just a running average yep. Yep. the last three months. 
Yeah. And and I got a number and I use that mm-hmm. number and I, you know, then you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you pray that you've set the number right in the RFP and, you know, you come in a little above, you come a little below, you know, you hope you're close. It all evens out across multiple shows. So you know, I understand the game there. But at the same point, because advertisers are not running in every episode like they used to many years ago, they're running in two a month or whatever it may be then maybe those two specific shows, you're right. The one that's released on Monday versus the one released on Thursday, that's a different, big different variable. That could be 25%. Right, 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 yeah. exactly. And that's, I feel like that plays into it too. And it's hard, like if you have a daily show is very different than, you know, one of our bigger shows that we work with releases two episodes a month. And that really right. throws things off a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Todd, this has been such a great conversation and I know you and I could go on and on, but just to to wrap us up, tell me, do you have any predictions as to where you feel like the podcast industry is headed? Oh, the one thing is AI is, is going to be everywhere. And, you know, we spent the last four months really heavily looking at AI stuff that is not going to be extinct in a year because we are currently using the stupidest AI we'll ever use. Yep. And it's pretty remarkable what's capable now. So, um, you know, our strategy at Blueberry and I'm sure every every service, I, I don't know, it doesn't matter what company you're in. If you're not paying attention to AI, you, you better or you may not have a job in a couple of years or yeah. business. Uh, things are changing fast. So the AI piece is going to uh, it's going number one, it's going to help podcasters be more better host. It's going to help them with with their post-production. It's going to help them with social going to touch every aspect. So um, AI is really what's going to change the space the most. And I, mm-hmm. I think that podcasters that use the tools correctly have an opportunity to significantly advance their audience. Um, because guess what? When you're, a, when you're the host, when you're the GM, when you're the social promotion, when, when you're a team of one, there's not much time you have to breathe and still live. And I think these AI tools are going to allow you to be a force multiplier and allow you to be, instead of one person, you'll be able to three. And maybe if you have some a team that's listeners are supporting you, you turn them onto this and all of a sudden, you know, you look like your team of 10 when you're a team of two or one. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's going to change things mm-hmm. globally. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, I really you. appreciate it. Um, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? It's easy. Todd at Blueberry.com. Blueberry without the E's because we didn't have the $2 million to buy the E's. So it's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. And uh, just drop me a line and happy to do a call or any type of consultation or just answer questions about the service. That's the easiest way. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Good catching up. Thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. If you want to learn more about podcast advertising, head on over to my relatively new YouTube channel. You can find me Heather at Osgood over on YouTube. Take care and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast to advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry. 